before our decisions and before our prayers and before anything pertaining to us, God as a master craftsman recreated us. He remade me by an act of His grace. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on a spiritual journey. How should you then live, and for what purpose? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part 18 of This Is Your Life. It's a study of how God works and moves in His sovereign will to save those who are spiritually dead. Today, Tom will continue to examine how a believer should walk as a habit of life in doing good works. You used to walk in step with Satan, in step with your flesh, and in step with the world. But through the miraculous work of salvation, God has redesigned you to walk in good works. And today, Tom will outline some practical examples and ways you can live your life in obedience and with gratitude for your salvation. Let's join our teacher with today's study right now on The Word Unleashed. Grace is involved. God's grace gives you the ability to do those works, gives you the ability to believe. But you are made right with God based on your faith plus your own efforts. The biblical formula and the one that Paul is explaining in Ephesians 2 is totally different. Listen carefully. This is the biblical formula. If I reduced it to a mathematical formula, it would be faith and faith alone equals justification or a right standing before God plus works. You see the difference? Faith equals justification plus works works. You see, faith alone is the means by which sinners come to benefit from the finished work of Christ. But by faith alone, we are justified, we are declared righteous before God, but that faith that justifies is never alone, as the Reformers used to say. We are saved or justified by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. That is, it is followed by works. Where there is true faith, there is justification. Wherever there is true faith and justification, works will follow. Not as, listen carefully, not as the grounds or the cause of our salvation, but as its result. Paul totally excluded good works from contributing to our salvation in any way back in verses 8 and 9. And in verse 10, he begins by saying, we are God's work, His creation, Good works can never achieve our spiritual rescue, but they always follow it. They're not the goal of salvation. Excuse me, good works are the goal of salvation, not the ground. They are the fruit of salvation, not the root. You see this throughout the Scripture. Turn to our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 5 as He begins the Sermon on the Mount. He explains to his disciples that they are to be salt and they are to be light. And as he finishes that, notice what he says in verse 16 of Matthew 5. Let your light shine before men and let it shine in such a way that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, if you're one of my disciples, there will be good works, and those good works will be a demonstration that you are mine. So many passages. Turn to another in Paul's writings, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. In verse 9, Paul prays for the church in Colossae, and he says, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? Verse 10, so that, in order that, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And how does that happen? Bearing fruit in every good work. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 21 of his letter, has the same prayer. In verse 20, he says, I'm praying for you. Verse 21, I'm praying that God would equip you in every good thing to do His will. But the idea of Christians engaging in good works is a major theme of Paul's pastoral letters. That is, the letters he wrote to his young protégés, young pastors, Timothy and Titus, urging them to urge their congregations on the importance of good works. Let me just show you what a heavy emphasis Paul places on this as he writes these young pastors. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. He says, he's talking about people in the church as, as vessels, back to this idea of potter. He says, if anyone cleanses himself from, if, in sanctification from various sins, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 17 as he talks about Scripture and all that it gives us in its fullness, he said, Scripture will make a man of God adequate, equipped for every good work. Turn over to Titus, the little letter of Titus, the next book. Titus chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 7. As he tells the young men what they are to do, but of course this is true for all, but this is especially a struggle for young men, so he urges them. Verse 7, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and not only to redeem us, not only to forgive us, but to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, Titus, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Verse 14, our people, that is the people of the church, the people who know God, must learn to engage in good deeds. You see the stress that Paul puts on this? If you're in Christ, this is what God recreated you for. Get in step with the program. Get in line with what God made you to do and to be. That's what Paul is urging us. This means that for the Christian, good works aren't just kind of a good idea that you ought to do if you can fit it into your life. 
This is what you were designed for. When I travel, I often will pick up a gift from my wife, and uh, from time to time, we both enjoy uh, hot beverages, coffee, or hot tea, and so I was at one point in a place where I thought I'd pick up a teapot, and I bought her a teapot, and it was a beautiful teapot, very well-designed, beautifully arranged, so I bring it home, and, and we think, uh, once I got home, we thought, well, you know, let's make some tea and enjoy it together on one of the mornings after I got home, and so she made tea, and she goes to pour the pot of tea, and the tea, instead of coming out of the spout, it drains and dribbles down the edge onto the table. And no matter how hard you worked at making that teapot pour properly, it didn't work. It didn't fulfill the design for which it was made. Listen, God designed us. He made us for a specific purpose in mind. And when God designs something, it always functions the way he designs it to function. question is, if we're designed for good works, what exactly are good works? Well, in one sense, we could say all of Scripture, all the commands of Scripture are good works, and that's certainly true. But in the context here, Paul is referring, I think, more specifically to the commands that he's going to give, the practical commands he's going to give in chapters 4 through 6. He is going to fill out exactly what good works look like when he gets to chapters 4 through 6. In fact, buried at the heart of that practical section at the end of the letter, Paul comes back to this idea of our having been recreated with this design in mind. Look over in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 24. Buried right in the heart of his discussions about sanctification, of living a different kind of life, look at what he refers to. Ephesians 4, Verse 24, as he's talking about the process of sanctification, he says, put on the new self, the new person that you are in Jesus Christ. Start living in keeping with that person, and that new person is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see what Paul's doing? He's saying, listen, as I'm telling you to do all this stuff, Understand that the commands I'm giving you, these very practical commands, are ultimately built on the foundation I built back in chapter 2 that you were designed for this. You were made by God to live like this. That's what he's arguing. God created our new lives as Christians for this reason. Now, notice how Paul describes these good works back in Ephesians 2. He says in verse 10, we're created for good works, and then he describes them in two different ways. He says, which God prepared beforehand, and a second way, so that we would walk in them. Let's look at both of those phrases, because they help fill out this idea of good works. First of all, he describes them as works God eternally prepared, which God prepared beforehand. You know what he's saying? He's saying before God recreated you, before you were saved, he's really talking about eternity past. In eternity past, God determined the direction and function and pattern of your new life. God decided it would be good works. This is hinted at in chapter 1. You go back to chapter 1, verse 4, when we're talking about election here. Paul says, he chose us in Christ 
that we would be holy and blameless before him. In eternity past, God chose us with the goal of our being holy and blameless in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, Paul makes it explicit when he says, God predestined us, what? To become conformed to the image of his Son. Do you see it? In eternity past, God decided, listen carefully, that you would ultimately be like Jesus Christ. He predestined that you would be conformed to his Son. What was Jesus like? What did Jesus' life on earth look like? I love Peter's description to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was, as you've heard, a man who went about doing good. Jesus' life was a life of good works, of both benevolent deeds as well as obedience to his Father. This is who Jesus was. That's why John the Apostle in 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you claim to be a Christian, then live like Christ. Pursue living like he lived. That's what God has in mind. God had a particular design in mind when he saved you. And that design was to make you like his son. It's like the Renaissance sculptor and painter Michelangelo was once asked as he was chipping away at this shapeless stone with a hammer and chisel. He'd really just begun. Someone asked him what he was making. And I love Michelangelo's answer. He said, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. You see, as the great artist, he already had in mind what the finished product would look like. And when God saved you, he already had in mind what you would look like. It wouldn't be an angel. It would be like his son, Jesus Christ. Notice the second way he describes these works back in verse 10 of chapter 2. Not only did God prepare them beforehand, but they are works that we must walk in. Works that we must habitually practice. This is why God prepared our good works beforehand. Here's where divine sovereignty meets human responsibility. God designed you for good works, so walk in them. The word walk implies conduct as a habit of life. If you're a Christian, God designed you as His creation so that you would walk as a habit of life in good works. You remember how we used to walk? Go back to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. We used to walk in step with Satan, in step with our flesh, in step with the world. But God has designed us now to walk in good works. I cannot explain to you how important this verse is to the rest of this letter adequately. But let me try to show you. Paul builds on this very concept of walking in what God has made us to be when he gets to the practical section of the letter. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The very first verse of the practical section of this letter, what does he say? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. He comes to this idea of walking in conduct and keeping with who you are and who you were designed to be. Verse 17, stop walking like the Gentiles walk. Chapter 5, verse 2, 
Walk in love. In fact, verse 1 says it. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but you're now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 15. Be careful how you walk. You see, Paul is playing off of this verse we looked at this morning. When he gets to the practical section, he's saying, listen... God designed you. You are His creation, and He designed you to live like this. So start walking like this. That's the heart of Paul's admonition here. We are His creation. We are God's creation, and God created us with a specific design in mind, and that design was a life of good works, a life of obedience to His Word, a life described in Ephesians chapter 4, verses Uh, excuse me, chapters 4 through 6. Now, as we finish our time today, very briefly, let me give you a couple of direct applications that grow out of this text for us. Things we ought to think differently about and things we ought to do. Number one, based on what we've studied here in this verse, understand that good works are an important evidence of genuine salvation. Good works are an important evidence of genuine salvation. There's another view that's fairly popular here in the Dallas area. If we reduce what they teach to a formula, as I did the other formulas before, it would be faith equals justification, period. No works on either side of the equation. There are those who deny that a Christian will of necessity, once saved, do good works. Whoever may teach that, and however much they may be respected, that's not what the Bible says. We studied James 2 at great length when we went through the epistle of James. James makes it clear that faith that isn't followed by works isn't saving faith at all. Listen to Lloyd-Jones. If you do not desire to be holy, I do not see that you have any right to think that you are a Christian. It is a part of God's design that we be prepared unto good works. If you think that you can abstract forgiveness only from the plan of salvation, you completely misunderstand the plan. When God looked upon you and loved you and began to work in you to make you a Christian, He had already prepared the works which you would live and perform. There is no such thing as justification without sanctification. Faith without works is dead. Harold Honer of DTS shows that he's out of step with some of his compatriots when he writes in his commentary, works are not a means of salvation, only faith is, but works are an evidence of salvation, God working in the believer his prepared works. Number two, good works are still grace. You see, Good works are not something that we do separate from the empowerment and grace of God. Good works are something that God works in us and through us. You remember in John 15, Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit, I want you to bear fruit, I want you to bear fruit. And then he says, buried right in the middle of all of that, and apart from me, what? You can do nothing. The way Paul puts it in Philippians 1.6 is that God began the work in you, God is continuing the work in you, and God will complete the work in you. 
are Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who is at work in you, and God is giving you the willing to do and the doing. Good works are still grace, something God works in and through us. That's why, by the way, those rewards we get in heaven represented by the crowns, we just throw them back at the, at the foot of Christ because we didn't earn them. They're not ours. They're still grace. Number three, salvation is from start to finish a work of sovereign grace. Salvation is from start to finish a work of sovereign grace. We are His workmanship, His masterpiece, His work of art. He painted us. He wrote us. He sculpted us. We're His. We did not make ourselves Christians or who we are. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Number four, the ultimate goal for every Christian is to be like Jesus Christ. I love Galatians 4, verse 19. My children, Paul writes, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is fully formed in you. Listen, that's your pursuit if you're a Christian. That's your goal to live and to think and to act like Jesus Christ. And to whatever extent you don't, confess that to God and be pursuing that. We will not arrive in perfection. We're all frail and feeble and weak and sinful. But that ought to be the direction of your life if it's not the, the perfection of your life. And it's not the perfection. But it ought to be the direction. Number five and finally, every Christian will reach that goal. Every Christian will reach that goal. You see, there's a wonderful sense of assurance that flows out of verse 10. If God had a plan, and He did, then He will stop at nothing to see that plan fulfilled in each of us. There is nothing inside of us or nothing outside of us that will prevent God from fulfilling the design that He intended. My teapot may not have fulfilled the design for which it was intended, but God has no rejects. He has no failures. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, and without failure, without exception, every true Christian will arrive there. It may be haltingly, it may be by fits and starts, but we'll get there. What God designs always works like He designed. And what God starts, He always finishes. As Lloyd-Jones puts it, there are no rejects in God's factory of salvation. Or to put it another way, God never ruins a piece of canvas. He never mars a piece of pottery. He never has to rewrite one of His great poems. We are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we end this paragraph where we began it. Our salvation is from the very beginning to the very end, entirely of God. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington. 
here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series titled This Is Your Life. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? You know, friend, if you've been studying along with us as we've walked through this amazing passage in Ephesians 2, I hope you've captured the great point that's made here. And that is the reality that we were dead, unresponsive to God, unable to respond to God, not even aware of the full lostness of our condition. And then God in his grace intervened. As you've seen with me, the real point of this passage is that God made us alive. He acted. God acted alone to redeem us. We should respond to God with obedience and love and trust, and we should share this amazing message of salvation with others. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.